For America's climate goals, investing in clean energy adds up. But what doesn't add up is an additionality requirement for clean hydrogen. Additionality would put an unnecessary and inequitable burden on domestic clean hydrogen producers and have serious consequences for America. America needs clean hydrogen, but an additionality requirement just doesn't add up. Get the facts at cleanhydrogentoday.org. Paid for by the Fuel Cell and Hydrogen Energy Association. Just when we thought Christianity Today had won us back, they went and released the Bob Knight problem and completely ruined it. That's what we're going to talk about today, so let's just get into it. Welcome in. This is Religionless Christianity. I'm your host, Spencer. This is my beautiful wife, Nikki. Hello. And before we dive into this review today, is there anything you would like to say? We're just going to lift you up in prayer for your shoulder. I don't know. He did something to it working out a while back and I don't know, not getting better, it seems. So I don't know. He's a pretty healthy guy. Seems like you heal like pretty fast. But <laughs> funny enough, I actually learned some. Well, it's yet to be seen if I learned anything, but we had a dietitian come and talk to us. And she told us that one of the things carbohydrates do in your body is help you recover from lingering injuries and stuff like that. So one of the things she had mentioned was if you have these nagging injuries that don't seem to be healing, maybe you don't get enough carbs. And I typically eat very low carb most of the time. I was like, I don't know that I want to believe her. Maybe there's something to this. So, uh, but yeah, please lift me up in prayer. My right shoulder is pretty sore, but also praise God because it's sore for a reason. I got to go out and do a little bit of PT, physical training with a bunch of young airmen. I mean, not to toot my own horn, but I kind of embarrassed most of them. So <laughs> I know if I was like 24 years old and a 36-year-old man was out there smoking me on a track, doing more push-ups and pull-ups, I'd probably be a little embarrassed. The old man. I am an you. old man, <laughs> but I held my own, so praise God for me <laughs> holding my own, but then pray for me because in the process, <laughs> I destroyed my arm, so um, I guess that's just what you get as you get older, so... <laughs> Maybe that's why you're supposed to learn humility as you get older, but anyway. oh well, anywho, <laughs> um, but also, yeah, please take a second to like and subscribe if you're on YouTube, follow us if you're on the podcast, consider leaving us a review um, if you are on the podcast and come join us on social media, discord, we want to hear from you guys. We want to pray for you. We want to praise God with you. If you showed up a bunch of young kids in your neighborhood, made them look like fools, I want to hear about that <laughs> so I can praise God with you and then pray for your racked body. So um, that's that. But yet today we are going to uh, do a, another review of the rise and fall of Mars Hill that Christianity Today put out. And this isn't necessarily you know, episode nine, this is just another one of their sort of standalone episodes that sort of ties in somehow to the Mars Hill story. So before I get into Nikki and her take, so again, 
we did this episode much the same as we did the previous one because I like that. So we both just listened to these on our own, made our own notes. We haven't seen or heard what the other person has to say. Mm-mm. And I thought it was a little bit good because, you know, I can tend to influence Nikki a little bit one way of. You well, know, we she- sharpen each other's. I don't know. My judgment can be off and you'll point something out that I didn't notice. So. Yeah, I normally have to correct your judgment. Yeah, you time. do. <laughs> No, but it's good because, you know, we obviously see the world differently and I don't necessarily want you to or her to see my point of view and just come over. But that's, I think, the fun part. You can kind of see the way uh, two different people see the same episode. And although I'd like to think we see this episode much the same way, but Uh, we'll find out. Probably not. um, Do you want to just give a quick synopsis from what you sort of saw of like, what this episode is about in its entirety. In its entirety. Um, well, I think they talked a lot about the uh, Bob Knight. Was that his name? Bob Knight. You probably know way more about you him than I do. Bob did. Knight is. I didn't really know until today, but kind of comparing how he coached uh, and he was abusive and, you know, they had someone on the show talking about that and just comparing him to Mark. And I don't know. I can kind of see their point of view, but you probably, I don't know. I don't know what you think. Well, yeah. I mean, obviously I think the overview of the episode, much like every episode is Mark's awful. Yeah. Um, You know, that's sort of the overview, but I thought this one was kind of broken up into a couple different segments. Yeah. I know know, I skipped over the first part. (laughs) Yeah. It kind of starts with them sort of looking at um, Mark and sort of this, um, interaction or um, kind of like a little conference almost meeting that he had with another church in the Seattle area because of some stuff that they found fault with. So that was kind of the mm-hmm. first half. And then it kind of went into this Bob Knight sort of comparison for the back half of the episode. And so, yeah, it was kind of two, kind of broken into two separate sections with sort of the overarching theme, really just that Mark's a bad guy. And that was kind of, I mean, all they do is all they ever do is compare him to someone we all agree is a horrible person. Yeah. Episode 10 will be, you know, the rise of Hitler and Mark. No, let's not go to that. All oh my right. goodness. I shouldn't have said that, but we'll see. They still have episodes to come out. <laughs> we'll so who see. knows? Um, they both had brown hair as far as I remember. So there's your connection. Um, <laughs> but do you want to just, I'll go into the first point because I know you were asking me questions about it before we yeah. started. Um, that was the only thing we discussed. I know. And we I don't told have her like to pipe outline. down. Yeah, I know. So you let's go off your notes and I'll chime in. So the first big thing, and again, we're going to try to not cover. I feel like listening to this, I told Nikki, I kind of listened to it when I went on a run. And I spent so much time thinking about what I wanted to say that I was missing what they were actually saying because I was like three minutes back. And I like, think I was doing that too a little. Yeah. I probably should have listened to it a second time. But the first big point that jumped out to me is sort of the reason for this sort of meeting that he has with this church in the Seattle area. And they talk about um, this quote or something that – or. It's a blog post, I believe, that Mark writes. And in there, he says, it's not uncommon. This is a rough paraphrase, pretty close to quoting. It is not uncommon to meet pastors' wives who really let themselves go. 
they sometimes feel that because their husband is a pastor, he's therefore trapped into fidelity, which gives them cause for laziness. And then he goes on a few more sentences, and he ends it by saying, she may not be responsible for his sins, but she's not helping him either. And I think this was in response to another pastor falling into sexual sin, and he was sort of writing this blog post in sort of response to that and saying these things. So I was curious, you from a wife's perspective, how that hits you? Well, I think it's weird that he brings it up in like regards to just pastor's wife, because that should, that should apply to all Christians. But I just don't think, again, like he's speaking on things that should be talked about like one-on-one. Because I think that kind of a statement can cause problems in marriage and stress. I don't know, all kinds of things. Because the way people idolize him, if he says it, then it's, I don't know, you don't know the kind of husband-wife uh, situation at home and you know, the whole idolizing of him. That can just, I don't know, I think he knew that people just took his word for things and he liked to stir the pot. That's my take. I know you're going to have something different. (laughs) I loved it. Um, My only problem with it is, like Nikki said, he stopped at pastor's wives because this is a message me and Nikki have harped on. We've given other little talks and videos about marriage, and this is one of our major points. If you want, I don't believe in the idea of a successful marriage because you don't really find out if a marriage was successful until one of the partners is dead. (laughs) Really? That's when, you know, me and Nikki don't get to be married for 20 years and go, that was successful. Now have a nice life. Like (laughs) it's only successful if we make it to the end. So you don't really find, you know, but one of the main reasons, at least in our life and our thought as to why marriages fail and something you can do to be successful in your marriage is sort of in this vein. So where he falls apart, I think, is when you just focus on the pastor's wife, because this is something for everybody. People get married, they get comfortable. And, you know, I don't want to be crude or be like, you know, too surface level. But, you know, in our life, one of the big things that attracted me to Nikki was how attracted to Nikki I was. Like, you can love somebody for their personality and all these sorts of things. But generally, if you marry somebody, you are also physically attracted to them. So if, let's just say, Nikki marries me, and I was, you know, I was a little more out of shape then than I am now, but roughly the same size, you know, weighed about 180 pounds. I was still semi-athletic, played a lot of sports and that sort of stuff. But if 16 years into marriage... I was 250 pounds. I was bald. I didn't play sports anymore. I just worked all the time. Well, you'd be a totally different kind of person. It wouldn't just be an outward thing. Well, it wouldn't be an outward thing, but you would also be like, hey, man, I didn't marry a 250-pound bald dude. Like, yes, she may still love me as the person we've grown to be together, but that physical attraction may not be there anymore. Same thing for a husband. If you marry a And it could go the other way. Maybe you marry and you like girls that are bigger or something. Maybe she's bigger and loses a bunch of weight to be healthy. You may not be quite as attracted to that woman anymore. Now, that's certainly not a reason for sin. And Mark was right in saying that 
she's not the cause of his sin, but she may not be helping him in that sin. But I think him saying that, people who may have never heard that before may have maybe used to think it would be all on them, but now they're hearing, oh, it's partly her fault. So maybe I'll go ahead with it. You know what I mean? Like they maybe yeah. were thinking before they would be all to blame. They were like, no, she's a little to blame. So I feel a little more comfortable going ahead with this affair now. So I kind of looked at it from that way. Like that was unwise for him to be just saying something like that and putting the idea in someone's head because it's not a, it's not a blame thing. And the whole reason you should care what someone looks like outwardly, it has nothing to do with your, your sexual desires being met. It, you should care about the health of the person before your sexual needs being met. Well, yes, but sexual desires inside of marriage certainly play a big part. Yeah. And but he's making it seem like that is number one, and that's what bothered me. Right, and again, this is from a blog post, so you obviously can't ask him a question. We're not getting the full, like, expounding on maybe this theory. So this could have been something that he only talked about this one time and never mentioned it again. I don't know. But hearing this message, I think, again, it should be tailored to husbands, wives, not just pastors, not just. Yeah. This is a message I, I think should be in premarital counseling. Mm -hmm. Like, hey, man, you need to be. This is something we always say. You should be the person you are when you get married or better. That should be your goal every day. You know, and that's just not physical appearance, because obviously women have it harder. Right. Nikki's had four children. Uh, it's not quite as easy for her to bounce back. After each successful, like for me, it's just like, oh, I ate, ate too much for the last two months. <laughs> like it's not an easy excuse. Well, yeah, but. I think there's way more pressure on women and women are the ones who go through the most change and whose hormones fluctuate the most and we yeah. eat emotionally. So. <laughs> you, do, and, you know, so it's not a pure like, hey, when I married you, you were a size zero with, you know, whatever. But there's still that, you know, if you're trying you know, you, right. you know, if you're working to be a better person and it's not just outward appearance. If, you know, like I said, I was big into sports. I had drive to be successful when me and Nikki got mm -hmm. married. I had a, what I think is a good sense of humor. <laughs> all these, I wanted kids, you know, of all that after 16 years, we still didn't have kids. And I was like, I don't want no kids. I didn't joke anymore. I was negative towards her. Mm -hmm. Didn't work out, didn't play sports, didn't have a drive at work. Those are all also things where she's like, this is not what I signed right. up for, man. Like, you're a completely different person. So I don't want to get too bogged down in just this. I feel like stick around for episode 100 if you at all <laughs> care to hear me, Nikki, talk about marriage. Um, sort of in, in our mind, our episode 100, we may do like two or three episodes on marriage starting in episode 100. It's kind of a... Uh, Big celebration for reaching that milestone, but I don't want to get bogged down here. So we got a lot more to get to. Yeah, we were just uh, defending that point of view. Yes, I don't think that. he's wrong in that point of view, but um, he does also go on to say, and uh, the lady, her name is Rose, I think it's Rose Madrid Sweatman. She talks about this quote that he had that broke her and basically decided she needed to make this appointment with Mark. And it was something that Mark said where he's, uh, he said, if Christian males do not man up soon, the Episcopalians may vote a fluffy baby bunny or a fluffy baby bunny rabbit for their next bishop. Because apparently in like 1990s, I don't know what year, they had just elected a female bishop or whatever 
for the Episcopalian church. And Mark makes this, you know, joke or quote about, Hey, if these men don't stand up soon, they're going to wind up electing a baby bunny. And I thought, how funny to look back on that in hindsight with the Episcopalian church who now is like full blown transgender, queer pastors. And I was like, it seemed like Mark was pretty spot on with that one. Um, <laughs> so I, they kind of, again, painted that to look bad on Mark. I was like, you pretty much knocked that out of the park. Um, yeah, I'm sure. I don't know how they're not noticing that too, with the way the church is today. Well, and this was a, agree with it now. And I don't know if you saw this, but you know, we've talked about Christianity today's sort of liberal bent as far mm-hmm. as we're concerned, sort of that progressive Christianity. And I feel like this episode highlights that a lot in the way that they sort of lean into this fe- this woman, Rose Madrid Sweatman, and how she's like trying to get Mark to come for this meeting. And just the way Christianity today was sort of like positioning them against each other, that mm-hmm. she was somehow in the right. Yeah. And Mark, again, was this, you know, crude, you know, sexually abusive dude and for to, to me, I could f- sense Christianity today's like liberal sort of progressive bent really strong in this episode. And then mm-hmm. the lady right before this um, meeting happened, she talks about a couple that had come in to see her for counseling. Um, and they'd you know, been telling her they got this really awful, really invasive counseling from Mars Hill. And at the end of it, they tell her, hey, you know, we love this church. We're so thankful for what you guys did for us, but we just can't go to a church that's led by a female pastor. It's something that they tell her. And I just wrote down a quote. The lady <laughs> said, it was just that entrenched. Like she's saying, these people were just that entrenched in this doctrine that they, even though they loved what we were doing for them, they couldn't come here. And I thought, I just wrote down the Bible. Like you were that entrenched in the Bible. And again, if you go to a church with a female pastor, you know, we don't necessarily agree with that. I don't think that women can't have roles in a church, but I think we've come to the place now where we think it should be something where a a man is the head of the church because he's the head of the house. And and that was something I thought of as I was going on my run. Like you, I don't, know that you can be the head of a house if your wife is a pastor. Because if you're the spiritual head of your family, right, that's... and you're a spiritual family, like we're a Christian family, and Nikki is the pastor, the head of that church and family, it seems unlikely that that role is going to flip the second she walks off the stage. Yeah, that is really weird. So I just, it just struck me as weird that this girl's like, Oh, these kids are just so entrenched in this biblical doctrine. And <laughs> like, yeah, I guess if you're a progressive Christian that has transgendered pastors, I think, yeah, a traditional male headship of the church would seem like an entrenched position to them. But it doesn't yeah. to us. We'd like to hear from you guys on that. Um, do you have any other points you want to bring up before I just keep moving this thing? Yeah, along? I didn't write down a lot about that really. Pretty much what you well, said. Well, that was just kind of leading me into the interview because the interview had my blood boiling. Yeah, go ahead. So um, this whole interview, man, 
I think Christianity Today was trying to do these people a favor by giving them this platform. And I thought, God, I would be embarrassed if this is what came out from me. This first dude, Paul Chapman, yikes. Uh, they don't go too deep into this dude. And I don't want to be, again, I don't want to like mock somebody. These are just the thoughts that I had because the whole point of this interview, and they go into it at length in this episode, they make it clear that they don't want to debate theology or anything with that. All they want Mark to do is say he's sorry. Yeah. Like, just tell us you're sorry. And Yeah, they complained that he would talk about theology. Like, they didn't like that. Yeah, so, I mean, we can get into that. This whole um, thing, they call this interview, or they call Mark to come over to have this talk, and they're going to talk to him about it. And they're first upset because Mark is saying, like, hey, well, there's these stipulations before I come and talk to him. And they're kind of saying it like, uh, who's this guy who's trying to, like, twist our arm into— but that's exactly what they're they're trying to trap. I mean, he knows it. Well, he knows it, but this is not uncommon. Mark at this point is a mega church pastor. Yeah. This lady even mentions we're just a tiny little church. Like imagine if you were you know, us. We have a small podcast, God willing we'll be very successful someday. But a small podcast and imagine Rick Warren some reason agreed to come on. He doesn't know who we are what we believe, what we stand for. He doesn't know if this is going to be some kind of a gotcha. Like, mm -hmm. hey, we're just going to bring Rick Warren on and ask him crazy questions. Yeah, yeah. You know, you even see this with politicians and stuff that go on CNN. They'll give them a list of questions like, you can ask me this, you cannot ask me that. And these are stipulations for me to even show up here. So, like, this makes yeah. sense to me that Mark would be like, hey, man, here's all the things you need to do if you actually want me to show up. So, but they get him to come here. And then they're talking about how Mark keeps trying to get them off what they're trying to do because he wants to go into theology and talk about their differences of, you know, obviously Mark believes in a male headship, and then here's this church with a female pastor, and he wants to debate that. And they're like, no, no, we just want to talk about your inflammatory language. And he's like, yeah, that's not what I want to talk about. So they kind of go into that. But then they even make the point basically that they don't care about the theology. They know their theology is different. They simply want Mark to apologize for the way he speaks <laughs> about women. And I was like, you know, they mentioned this Paul Chapman guy. And again, like I talked about, I don't want to be crude to him or disrespectful, but these are just the thoughts I had. I was like, this dude sounds like an absolute beta male to me. You know, you have your alpha males, like the Donald Trumps that just like walk in a room. Mm -hmm. You know, make their presence known. I'm right. Don't care. Kind of like a Mark Driscoll. And then here's this Paul Chapman dude who's like, just tell us you're sorry. And he talks about how he uh, he's going to go and protest Mark. Yeah, that whole And protest. he sets up this protest. And I wrote something down. Um, didn't he say he didn't care if they protested? Or he said Yeah, he basically said they didn't care. I just thought, like, that's the beta male where he's in there and he's like, oh, we're going to get Mark to tell us he's sorry. I'm protesting him. And Mark was just looking out there like, dude, I don't care about you. Like, and not a terribly, I, you know, that sounds very ungodly. But like, if you're Mark and you're leading, doing all these big things, and here's this guy that's like, say you're sorry. And he's just like, whatever, dude. Like, I don't have time for this. But they want him just, to say it, but they don't care if he means it. Yeah, and I don't want to go too far before I'm saying 
I think you should apologize. You know, if this is Mark, if this is me, you should always be the first person to apologize. As a Christian, you should apologize. Um, hey, if I said something and it offended you, I'm sorry it offended you. I wouldn't say I'm sorry for what I said right. if I believed what I said. But I would say, hey, I'm sorry if what I said caused you harm or brought, you know, whatever. Please forgive me for hurting you that way. Now, maybe we can discuss the theology as to why yeah. I said what right. I said. I think that um, would be the right way. That's yeah. how it should have been handled. But they didn't care if he understood. They just wanted it recorded that he was sorry. No, and then they even make note of that because they talk about how um, Leif Moy was yeah. in, the, uh, in the meeting with Mark, and they say Leif, um, Leif said, I cannot let Mark apologize because an apology for this could be misconstrued as an apology for his theology. Right. And this sort of takes me back. I wanted to, this was my big overarching thought of this whole interview uh, because CT is a progressive in our eyes, liberal bent on Christianity. Seattle is obviously a Mecca of liberalism in this country. And I, this entire interview thing, I was like, if you want to know what modern liberalism is in a nutshell, it's this church. It's Rose and Paul. Like, we don't care what you do. Just say the right word. Yeah. Like, Hey Mark, we don't care about your theology, even if it's different than ours, which a Christian should. If you, what's the point in believing in a theology if you don't actually think it's the right one? Yeah. You know, but they're just like, say the word, just say you're sorry. I was like, that's the vaccine. Sure, all the numbers tell you it's not effective, really. It doesn't help you, it wanes, but like, just tell me it's safe. Just mm. tell me it's safe. No, 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 just say it's safe. Uh, yeah, it's pretty safe. Ooh, it's safe. Yeah. And like, it's all of this. Just tell me you're going to fix climate change. Oh, okay, I'm going to fix climate change. And then they climb into their private jet to fly off to France. And you're like, he's going to fix climate change. Like, <laughs> it's just say the word, right? And this is why they hated Donald Trump. He didn't say the right words. Yeah. Um, it's about those and words. I was like, if you want to know what modern liberalism is, Rose and Paul. That's what they it. were doing to him, too. Yeah. Yeah. Don't change anything about yourself. They Just say who it was it who compared him to Trump in the beginning? Uh, John MacArthur. Yeah. Well, anyway, they're attacking him just like yeah. Trump was with catching him in those words and twisting them. And yeah, and I think largely, I mean, granted, I think, you know, liberals hatred for Trump runs far deeper. But yeah, one of the big things that they hated about him was what he said. He just didn't say it right. You know, he didn't bend his knee and apologize every time they wanted him to. Um, and I thought, man, that is, yeah, I just wrote down like Mark refused to issue an apology. All they wanted was an apology and just say the words. And I think Mark in this instance, again, should have apologized for offending them. As a Christian, you should always be quick to apologize, quick to deescalate. They should consider someone else's feelings and, like you said, clarify things. Like yeah. maybe they misunderstood where I was coming from or cause I, something like that so. can definitely be taken the wrong way. But that's why we kind of went over it to start because I'm sure there's going to be a lot of listeners. But I do think he was do. right, Leaf, to say, hey, man, an apology here is going to be used to convey an apology for his theology. 
And again, maybe Mark had some better insight than Christianity Today is leading on that these are because liberals will do this. We saw this with everything about Donald Trump for four years. Whatever he said, they completely twisted to make it fit whatever narrative they wanted. Mm -hmm. So I believe Mark was Mark and Leaf were probably right here to go, listen, I know you just want an apology, but if I say that I'm sorry here, you're going to twist that mm -hmm. to mean that I'm wrong in my theology right. and I'm not wrong. Maybe that's all they really wanted, though. They probably really didn't care about the apology. Again, I don't know that, but that was the impression that I got for sure was that like yeah. just, yeah, yeah, definitely. I'm glad he um, was cautious about it, and then they made fun of him being cautious. Oh. Well, because just the last thing, sorry, I'm just looking at my Go notes ahead. here. The last thing that I wrote down um, about this before we get into the second half of the episode was this idea of apologizing because like all of Mars Hill and Mark's sort of theology was preaching against this culture that this lady wanted them to apologize for. He was, mm -hmm. his whole like idea was masculine Christianity sort of going back to your traditional roots of family yeah. and masculinity and male headship. So why would he apologize for basically saying, and again, should apologize for hurting people. But if it goes against everything you believe in theologically, right. be like, I'm not apologizing for saying everything I believe in if I think it's biblical. Right. Now, you can debate whether a woman pastor is biblical or not. That's fine. But if that's your staunch belief, then why would you go in and apologize for that? So I just thought that was mm -hmm. very interesting. This is the exact person in church that Mark was basically preaching against and why he started Mars Hill in the first place. So just very yeah. interesting. Do you have any last thoughts on this kind of first half of the episode? Um, no, I think I've got, I think I covered all my notes. Yeah. Yeah. So kind of from here, they transition into the Bob Knight discussion. Um, so did you know anything at all about Bob Knight? before this episode had you even like did that name even ring a bell no <laughs> does the name coach shashevsky ring a bell nope coach k no what about um very opposite let's think uh <laughs> i'm drawing a blank on the name right now too um are you trying to embarrass me i'm just curious, you know, <laughs> because bob knight if you're a sports fan everybody knows bob knight um obviously a college basketball legend um john wooden that's the name i'm thinking of okay you know who john wooden is nope i haven't done well america in teaching her sports i have made her sit down at times uh, i remember years ago i made her sit down and watch a kobe bryant basketball game i made her watch lebron um i think peyton manning and tom brady i made her watch before and i was like i just want you to say you've seen it Okay. So that when our little kids come up to us and they're like, oh, you know, Justin Thompson's the greatest quarterback of all time, you can be like, I watched Tom Brady in his prime. Like, get out of here, you little turd, turd <laughs> Ferguson. Um, but yeah, so they go into this basically. Uh, if you're unfamiliar with Bob Knight, this does a very good job of telling you sort of about who he is, um, all the negative about who he is, but. You know, there was certainly... Is that how you view him, is the way they portrayed him? No. I mean... That's what I was wondering. Not at all. Okay. Um, you know, he certainly 
is guilty of all the things that they said here. Well, yeah, you can't so, make up like a crazy story. I'm like curious that. what you thought about, you know, maybe just take sort of before we dive into maybe the individual pieces, just what did you think about Bob Knight as a whole after listening to this idea, like who he was, what he did, right, wrong, otherwise? Well, he obviously went too far in some things, but. I mean, I I agreed because I don't know him from another point of view besides this. So I think that's why I sided with them here. Like. Just a bleeding heart. Yeah. Okay. So <laughs> I, this part made me angry. Um, it made me angry because it was like a longing for times kind of gone by and that may sound weird because they talk i mean obviously bob knight is guilty choked a player how threw old were stuff. they i mean they were college kids so oh they 20s. were college but hey okay. i wasn't following well I you guess. know i think it helps to sort of look back at bob knight in today's lens and you know obviously we're looking at mars hill bob knight all these stories through the lens of 2021's America, right? Where, you know, if you, I don't know, if you cross your eyes at a kid's nowadays, you know, your child abuse, basically. Mm, yeah, but, we swung the pendulum the other way. You know, um, do you know the last time Indiana University won a national championship in college basketball? No. Would it surprise you to know that it was 1987, the last national championship that Bob Knight won? So I thought this is what made me angry. Was Bob Knight a maniac? Sure, seemed like it. He was incredibly hard on his players, um, but they won. That's the only. That's the last time Indiana's really been relevant in college basketball. I can see how they're comparing him to Mark, definitely. Yeah, and they're sort of comparing him as like, this, you know, he had this aura about himself, you know, where he was untouchable. He was the Don. They talk about this story where he basically kicked the dean of the college out of a practice. And they were like, man, he had all the power in that school. Wow. Which seems shocking until you realize these head coaches at most of these major universities, in whatever your big sport is, they have the power. Like Nick Saban has all the power at the University of Alabama. He brings in all the money that Alabama mm. makes through their college football, which pays for almost every other sporting, you know, every other sports team league. Like Nick Saban is the king of Alabama. Um, and that's what Bob Knight was in, in the seventies and the eighties in uh, Indiana. And, you know, obviously winning is not everything, right. But in sports, winning is everything. And mm -hmm. this idea that, he was so hard and so tough on these players. And we just had to like get him out of that and break this sort of power structure that he had. And okay, they did that. And what's it resulted in a middling top tier. I mean, they're, they're a top 25 college in college basketball, but they've never climbed to the heights that they did under Bob Knight. And so you can say, oh man, he was crazy. Yeah. But he was super successful. And was he successful because he instilled fear in his kids? 
maybe, but he also instilled a certain way of doing things. And I, when I was listening to this, it reminded me so much of the military. Because, like, look at college mm-hmm. basketball today. Like, I guarantee you in the next five years, Nick Saban will not be Nick Saban. Alabama will not be Alabama. Um, with the new uh, signing or the new law with the name, image, and likeness in college football now, Nick Saban isn't the most powerful man to these players. I think the quarterback of Alabama, I believe, makes a million dollars now in endorsements. Do you think he's going to be beholden to Nick Saban's head coaching or the dude that just paid him a million dollars? Right. You know, and look at college basketball. There are no more great teams in college basketball. Every year it's somebody different uh, because you can't be tough on these kids anymore. These mm-hmm. kids come out of college. College is just a way station to the pros. Um, college basketball is not what it once was. Nobody even watches college basketball really anymore until the uh, March Madness. So college football is going this way. Coaches cannot be coaches. You can't be hard on players. You can't discipline, uh, discipline players. You just have to be their friend, essentially. And um, it just struck me thinking about the military because this used to be the U.S. military. Right. I mean, you watch Full Metal Jacket, you know, that movie uh, and how hard that Marine drill instructor was on those kids. And I mean, all the stories back then, they would uh, Marine T.I. uh, Army um, T.I. drill sergeant. They would beat you up like legitimately. If you did something wrong, they would beat you up. They'd have blanket parties. I mean, they would just beat you if you did something wrong and people look back on that now and they're like oh my god can you imagine yeah sure it was awful but know what it also was immensely successful we haven't won anything really of note i mean sure we won the gulf war but that was essentially us just bombing the snot out of iraq but world war ii that's the military those guys grew up in it was hard People, nobody enjoyed basic training. They were petrified of their drill sergeants. That is absolutely not the case. Fear really is powerful. <laughs> it is. And it's, it can be ungodly, sure. But when you're trying to train a group of men that all have massive egos, I mean, these kids in Bob Knight's day, they were the best of the best. I mean, Indiana was the best college basketball team in the country. He wasn't getting scrubs to come play for him. Um, so you have to be the alpha dog. They have to know who's in charge and like, it would be nice if you could have a bounce house at practice and eat ice cream every day. And, you know, the teacher just told you how wonderful you are all the time. And you still went and won all the games you played. Like, sure. That'd be great. Problem is it doesn't exist in real life. Um, fear drives people. Uh, it makes you, you I mean, really it can go see too this far, in a biblical but way, because anything that we do, we could boast in ourselves. We have to really humble ourselves and say, no, I did that through God's strength. So in essence, like God is our coach. You fear him. You obey him. You let him break you down and build you back up. Well, and I pulled that verse up here. Um, I mean, obviously everyone knows it. Uh, Psalms 1324, 
Whoever spares the rod hates their children, but the one who loves the children is careful to discipline them. That's not a proverb. Yeah, it's a proverb. Oh, you said Psalm. Oh, I'm sorry. Proverbs. <laughs> and obviously that's always, you know, generally attributed to parents and rearing of your children, rightfully so. But in this vein, right, Bob Knight is essentially a mentor, a father figure to these kids. You'll hear a lot of sports mm. players tell you their college coaches, high school coaches were father figures. So in this vein, I was like, and again, tying back to the military, they did not spare the rod on those old soldiers. I mean, they would discipline them. And it sure didn't feel like love at the time, right? When your drill sergeant's in your face, you know, smacking you around. But when you were out on the front line and all that training he taught you kicked in and you remembered it and it kept you alive. You'd be thankful for all that. You'll be thankful. I mean, these kids would, Indiana would go on to win national championships and, Hmm. you know, be college basketball legends. Well, even teachers used to be able to discipline kids. Oh, yeah. Wrap your knuckles. So you, I mean, I think today, and I wish that was still going on because crazy in schools. Kids are so disrespectful. And I don't know. Yeah, there's definitely a place for discipline. It's well, not I even just thought for about parents. the church, too. Like, do you not think in Jesus's day that these rabbis were not tough on their students? You even go to a Muslim country today, they're Muslim. Uh, I can't even think what they call them now, but they're Muslim teachers in their schools. They still whoop kids, beat kids. And again, sounds harsh. But if you want to know why a faith is so embedded into a Muslim that they're willing to go and die for it, it's because like they've learned it. They've learned to fear it. They've learned. um, And again, we don't want people to fear God in that sense. But like there was this importance to know it. There is an importance to Bob Knight that you do everything perfect. There is an importance in the military back then that you do everything perfect. And if you don't, then there is going to be consequences. And again, they're sort of tying this back to Mark. And I, I don't know. I haven't given any indications of Mark beating somebody up. He certainly has said some things that well, are. They look at him like, like an abuser, like an emotional. Yeah, he's emotionally abusing where these Bob Knight was physically and emotionally abusive. Yeah. I'd be curious to know if you guys hearing this, what you think about this Bob Knight thing. Um, Cause obviously I'm torn. I wouldn't want to punch somebody in the face or you know, the, the stories he choked somebody. And I certainly wouldn't want I think my kids choked. a little choked. far with choking. That's not discipline. I don't think. Yeah. Don't but know. again, this is also Bob Knight more at the end of his career. And again, I think sometimes when you see somebody at the end um, or towards the end, you let that cloud your judgment of everything that came before. We see this with Martin Luther a lot. They always talk about like, ah, oh, Martin Luther, you know, he hated the Jews and all this stuff that he did. So they trash everything he did before that, where you're like, okay, well, he was an old man, you know, and there's a lot of maybe reasons as to why he went down this road. It doesn't mean the Protestant Reformation and the 95 theses get thrown out the window right. too. And all the stuff that Bob Knight did that made him great, yeah, he might have lost it near the end, but that doesn't mean that everything he did up to that point was wrong. Same thing here with Mark. Yeah, his mouth got him in trouble a lot. But yeah. That doesn't mean that the ideas he was espousing and what he was trying to instill in people wasn't right. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he may have gotten loose at the end there um, and started getting a little weird. 
Uh, although we've touched on that as to why maybe he did and the people that were in and around him. And yes, definitely. Um, speaking, do you have any lasting on Bob Knight? Oh, I don't think I did. Oh, some I wrote down the, you know, what they were criticizing. They said, I don't know which person said this. A system or institution that was protecting Bobby Knight uh, because they had things they valued more than people. So I see how that, you know, they're making that connection with Mark. Like the church, the name, the brand was more important than the people that helped get you to your position or your success. I think you definitely see that here. I mean, you saw that obviously with Bobby Knight, but you see it here too. And even when we mentioned here, you know, Leaf Moy, when he tells them that Mark won't apologize because this will make him, you know, his theology look bad. You kind of get an insight into the people that are around Mark that are, you know, they're not alleviated from that guilt. And that was kind of, this has been our whole Mm -hmm. point with everything about Mars Hill. They're trying to put all this on Mark's shoulders and we're not saying Mark's not guilty of it, but we're like, look at all the people that are around him mm-hmm. that are just as heavily invested in this. Um, because, yeah, just the same thing. You can't say Bob Knight was this crazy lunatic and then say none of his assistant coaches were guilty as well. If you're in all those right. practices and you see everything he's doing and you don't speak out until years later and you're like, yeah, he was a crazy guy. Oh, man, you were right yeah. there on the bench with him, you know, so. Well, yeah, and I put down this quote, too. You're going to have to remind me. I didn't even write the name down who said it. But it was near the end, but maybe you were going to get there. I'm probably jumping ahead. Well, let me see what it says. Oh, I'm not sure. Go ahead. Yeah, so it says, People will savage you for the very strengths that they depended on for you to, for you to get there. Maybe there's something wrong with the kinds of strengths we depend on to get there. So kind of like, like they, I don't know, everybody had the vision to get there, but then, you know, they loved his, talking about Mark here, that's what they were attracted to was the way he talked. But then when it was about them, they changed their mind. Like, oh, he attacked you or he said something concerning you. He called you out in a sermon or then they don't like it anymore. Yeah. I think it definitely sounds like it fits with Mark, you know, Oh, we love this vision for a, the, you know, masculine Christianity. And, you know, we're taking this fight back to Seattle, you know, male headship of the home. And then when Mark looks at you and he's like, yeah, you need to be a better, more submissive wife to your husband. And you're like, what do you mean? Screw you. How I think dare he you? just like, sharpened people like way too, too much. You know how you like sharpen somebody all in love and all gentle, but he like wasn't gentle at all about it. No. And again, <laughs> we aren't certainly Mark Driscoll apologists, but yeah, you can definitely see that same thing with the Bobby Knight, right? They loved how tough and hard he was and, you know, he demanded excellence. And then when they find out what it actually takes to reach excellence, they're like, oh, we don't want that. Well, good. You haven't had it since 1987. So I hope it's worth it. Uh, but then as we get ready to wrap this episode up here, my least favorite part of this entire episode, <laughs> oh my God, they brought back Jesse <laughs> Bryan 
please, Christianity Today, why do we drag Jesse? He's never offered anything of like substance other than to realize he was a major reason why or Mars Hill fell. That's all I can think. I, every time he comes out, yeah. I'm like, oh, so there's one of the catalysts to why Mark and Mars fell. So he came on and he said, mm. the end lust for audience is still the same. And then he goes, do you know any pastors who aren't podcasting because they're not sure what they're putting into the world is good for the world? Sort of making this idea that, you know, all these sorts of things went wrong with Mark and Mars Hill because he got put out in the spotlight and got this huge platform and all these sorts of things, which he, uh, Jesse Bryan made, you know, Mark become an internet sensation, but he let's overlook that. that. Door but then he him. says, you know, do you know pastors who aren't podcasting because they're not sure what they're putting into the world is good for the world? I was like, why would a pastor assume what they're preaching isn't good for the world? I don't know. And not to mention all of this big media pastors on the internet, Jesse Bryan is responsible for. You made Mark the most internet famous pastor in the country. Well, all who's these he other... working for now? Not a church. He makes that quite clear in this episode. I just feel like isn't. I can't stand Jesse Bryant in a uh, loving, godly way, of course. Um, but he just, I, I don't know why Christianity Today keeps bringing him out. Um, yeah. Because they why. even, Jesse Bryant even makes Mike Cosper's religion seem weak. Every mm -hmm. time I feel like he gets done interviewing Jesse Bryant, he says something where I'm like, oh, come on, Mike. Like, I'm already not super in Mike Cosper's corner because I think he's of that liberal, progressive yes. bent. But after he interviews Jesse, Jesse says the stupid things he says. Uh, Mike Cosper comes back on and he says, Jesse comes to these conclusions having been burned by the system. What system? I wrote down, I was like, if he was burnt, it comes from holding the match that he lit to set the building yeah. on fire. Exactly. So what are we like? Jesse Bryan is not the victim here. He is the catalyst, essentially, in my eyes, from all the 11 episodes that we've listened to or whatever so far. Jesse Bryan, to me, seems like maybe the number one driver that pushed Mark into a dark place. And then here is like, oh, and then he gets a, a platform What this guy is. He's crazy. Like, no, man, you did this to him. I hope everybody's. Yeah. Can I see this. I want him to see what he's done. I want him to recognize it. Well, he won't because he's not a Christian um, and he makes that clear. He doesn't go to church, do anything. So not a fan of Jesse Bryant, which apparently most of the people that listen to our reviews feel like he should just have as big of a platform as he wants to, to trash the church. I can't understand that. He can get his own platform, but Christianity Today should not give him a platform. That's what's so bothersome about it. Yeah. I, again, I will reiterate, I am not a fan of letting atheists critique our church, especially yeah. atheists that played a part in destroying a church. Right. That seems a bit, um, I don't know, a bit bad. But... Mm. Apparently that's just us. I don't know, honey. So as we get ready to wrap this up, I know we kind of ran a lot longer on this, but we want to make sure that we flush out our thoughts as best we can. And we probably still didn't do a great job. So if there's anything that we said 
you have questions on, concerns about, please jump on the comments and let us know. We want to engage with you guys. We want to find out where we're wrong. You know, people have been kind enough to tell us, you know, hey, these are other things that Mark Driscoll has been guilty of, you know, that we aren't aware of. So we appreciate that because, uh, again, we don't know anything about Mark Driscoll outside of this Mars Hill podcast. So right. you want to end it on anything? Um, no, I don't really have anything else. My notes. I mean, some things I put down, you, you covered pretty well. <laughs> Sorry, I, I feel like I'm always rambling, well, but this episode got okay. me uh, fired up. And, you know, I was like, the last couple episodes, <laughs> I felt like we were kind of like, you know, I can see where Christianity Today is going with this. And then this one came along and I was like, nope, not having it. So I know, they're uh, just kind of like double-minded about it or something. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, you in and then you're like, no. well, I think and it's we're trying to be fair, right? Because we don't know Mark. We did nothing about him, never went to the church. This is our experience with Mark. Yeah. So we try to be fair. We listen to each episode and then we go, hey, I think they're right here. or I think they're wrong here. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the last couple episodes, we've agreed that, yeah, Mark looked really awful in these. And we can see, you know, some of the things that were going wrong. Then in this one, trying to tie him into like a Bob Knight and apologizing to these liberal Episcopalians, like, nah, I'm off on that. No, I don't know why they have to keep, like, it's like they already buried him and they just keep throwing more dirt on top of him is all they're doing. Like, we get it. Four more episodes. He's a terrible person, but let's keep adding more dirt to it. Like, they really want you to know how bad he is. So, (laughs) um, any last words? Oh, no. That's that's all we got for you guys. We will be back on Saturday um, with kind of our news roundup for the week, kind of touching on the big stories of the week and kind of give you what Christian perspective we can on those. And then hopefully we'll be back on Wednesday again with some more Mars Hill breakdown. And we are working on something else to follow the Mars Hill. So if you're not subscribed already, not following us, please do. We're going to start getting into, once we can get away from the Mars Hill thing, we're percolating, kind of going in a a cool direction with the show. We don't want to give it away. So just (laughs) stick it out with us and you'll appreciate it. How many of the Mars Hill episodes are ready? I think there's like four or five left. So every Wednesday from here on out, it's just going to be. Hopefully. They have not been very consistent in getting these episodes out, but hopefully they will fix that. And we'll have stuff to talk to you guys about every Wednesday until it is done. And then we will move on to this other super cool topic. (laughs) But that's all we got for you guys. Love you. God bless.